0: you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me in all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay in my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God.
1: Oh so good, with every breath that I
0: am able, oh I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God. Well
2: good morning everyone and Welcome to Fusion. It's great to see all of you today, and welcome also to those those who are joining online. My name is Jackie, and it's good to be back with you this morning. Um, I would invite you now to stand, and let's greet each other with the peace of Christ. hear these words from Psalm 100 verses 1 through 3 shout for joy to the Lord all the earth worship the Lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs know that the Lord is God he is the he it is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture
3: Nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on display for all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sins. Oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms The riches of your love will always be enough And nothing compares to your embrace Light of the world forever You are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord, all creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here, in your presence I made whole. You are God, you are God,
1: of all else I'm letting go. Pray! Can't deny Your name Cannot be overcome
4: morning, everybody. At this time, all our kids can head over to the west side of the room. They're going to be heading downstairs for children's ministry. Good to see all those smiling faces this morning. My kids had lots of energy. It was a little task to get them here, but we're glad the rest of them are here, too. All right, we've got a blessing to send our kids off with. Now, we know our kids are going to bring the energy. Adults, we're going to see if you can bring that same energy. Kids, you ready? Adults, with me. The Lord be with you. There it is. Have a good morning, kids. Enjoy your classes. Adults, you guys did okay, too. All right, at this time, let's move into a time of prayer. We're going to begin with a few verses from Psalm 46. Pray with me, please. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in our trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with with their surging. Lord, thank you for being a God of strength and safety when it feels like the earth itself can be falling apart. Lord, we take courage in your power and we rest in your comfort. We're grateful that you are bigger and stronger than anything we're currently facing. But we also know, Lord, that life can still be hard. So we pray for more of you. We pray for more of you when we fail. We pray for more of you when others fail us. We pray for more of you when we feel out of control. We pray for more of you when we feel inadequate. We pray for more of you when illness hits us, or our families, or our friends. And Lord, we pray for more of you when our finances are hard. We pray for more of you when our relationships are struggling. And Lord, we even pray for more of you when everything actually does seem to be going well. Lord, we're asking for more of you. We're also extremely grateful for what we are already provided. We confess how often we forget to be grateful for so many of the positives in our lives. There's so much that we take for granted, and right now we pause for just a second just to remember to be grateful to you. Lord, every day is both a blessing and a calling from you. Help us to see where you are calling us this week. Help us to see who you are calling us to this week. Help us to see the ways in which you have prepared, prepared us for those callings. Grant us the courage, the strength, and the stamina to step into those places in our lives to which you have specifically called us to. Lord, today, thank you for this opportunity to worship together. It's truly an honor and a blessing to be here with you and with your people. Turn our hearts to you and our ears towards you, that we might hear what it is you have to say for us right now, for the rest of today, and for the rest of this week and beyond. Help us to undeniably feel you and your presence today, Lord. Amen.
5: Thanks, brother. I mean, Nate, who is my brother in Christ. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, what a, what a week, right? Um, how many, anyone else? Kids had more vacation snow days than days in school. Yeah, um, I had to learn how to write a sermon while playing remote control cars. You know, with Bryce, not really. But uh, it is good to be together. It is good. The, the sun is shining. I think Bill said over at Celebration that uh, we experienced three different seasons this week—from from sunshine, warmer weather to ice storms. We we experienced the full gamut, and uh, it is it is good to be here together. Amen. Uh, real quick, just some, some things. First of all, just, again, just thank you for your continued generosity supporting the ministries here. Uh, there's ways to continue to contribute, not only financially, but also with your time and your energy. And so just wanted to direct your attention to a, one of those opportunities, Feed My Starving Children. We're still looking for quite a few volunteers, uh, which is a packing day. We've talked about that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's March 10 and 11. That weekend, I might have the specific dates a little off, uh, but there's a Friday and Saturday times. Saturday, especially, we need some more volunteers. So, uh, spread the word. It's a great opportunity. Two-hour block. You can serve as a family. Uh, it's very family-friendly, young kids-friendly as well. Uh, also, this week, um, it was it was disappointing. This past Wednesday, to have an ice day or a snow day or whatever we call it, uh, on Ash Wednesday. Um, But Ash Wednesday was this past Wednesday. We were going to have a service uh, last week that had to be canceled, uh, but that marked the beginning of Lent, uh, which is this season leading up to Easter where we remember our need uh, for Jesus Christ and what Christ accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Um, uh, Darwin, Pastor Darwin, is going to be leading a service on Wednesday mornings early and Wednesdays before community night uh, around the table, around communion, around a simple word. And uh, so just look for those Opportunities, there's been some information passed out. That was Wednesday mornings, kind of before the workday starts, and then Wednesday, uh, af- late afternoons, right before community night. Just a few things that are happening uh, around here is good. But right now, we're going to jump in. And uh, we're going to jump in this morning. We're continuing our 31-week-long series through the grand narrative of Scripture. We've been using this wonderful resource called The Story, uh, which takes actual Scripture passages and and arranges them in kind of chronological order with some summaries to kind of fill in the gaps. And it's been a beautiful journey. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, But believe it or not, uh, today is our our last week in what we refer to as the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Next week, we're going to step into the New Testament. We're going to look at Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited to be studying the Gospels, and that's going to be a wonderful journey. Uh, But today, if you remember last week, we we considered the challenge of life away from Jerusalem— we looked at the book of Esther and, and how it was difficult as God's people remained in exile, many of them, the majority of them. Uh, but this week we're stepping back uh, to the land of Jerusalem and we're looking at uh, the book of es- Ezra and Nehemiah, which kind of gives an account of this period of history. Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in our Bibles, but really considered one volume Two weeks ago, we stepped into Ezra. If you remember uh, the, sto- the account of Zerubbabel, uh, who comes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and that, that that's account is in uh, Ezra 1 through 6. We looked at the prophet Haggai's word in that moment. Well, 70 years after Zerubbabel leads this first wave of returnees to the land of Jerusalem, 70 years later comes a priest by the name of Ezra. And Ezra leads a second wave of returning uh, exiles to the land of Jerusalem, the land of uh, Israel, and his focus is really on Torah teaching and rebuilding the community. That's all in Ezra's chapters 7 through 10. And then there's another wave uh, of returning uh, exiles uh, led by Nehemiah, who's a political leader, a governor, and he leads this This wave and his call and his task is to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And that's the beginning of Nehemiah uh, chapters 1 through 7. That brings us to our focus text this morning, which is Nehemiah chapter 8. At this point now that the temple's been finished, worship has resumed at the temple, the the walls around the city of Jerusalem have just been completed, Um, and, and something incredible happens. The people uh, ask of Ezra the priest to begin reading the Torah, the the law of Moses, the first five books uh, of our Old Testament, our Bible, and and something amazing begins to happen. There's a move of God's spirit among the people, and that's where we're going to step into the story this morning, and and as we do, if you're willing, if you're able, uh, it's our custom to honor God by by standing together and invite you to stand if you're willing and able As we hear God speak to us, we'll be reading Nehemiah chapter 8, select verses from 1 to 18. The word of the Lord. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate, just outside the walls of Jerusalem. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, the people all stood up, as we're doing today. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen, and they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah then said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Then we pick up in verse 13, just to kind of quick summarize, day two rolls around. Uh, They begin reading from the Torah this commandment to celebrate a festival that commemorates uh, their journeys through the wilderness, the festival of tabernacles or booths, and so that's exactly what they do. They spend a week celebrating the feast of tabernacles or booths, and it's summarized with verse 18. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we, we pause and we, we take a deep breath, we pray and we ask, Spirit, that, that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you as we continue to study and uh, seek to understand your word and its implications for our lives today. Spirit, speak. May we listen. And uh, through it all, may, Lord, you constantly be forming us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen. Um, by now, I'm, I'm willing that I'm willing to guess that that most of us here have heard something of what's being called the Asbury revival. Have you been Have you been hearing about this? It's It's gained quite a bit of uh, national attention. Um, if you're not familiar, Asbury uh, is a, is a college in the state of uh, a small Christian college in the state of Kentucky, and several weeks ago. Um, what began as a, as a typical Wednesday morning chapel service, um, someone began, um, stu- one of the students, this is all student-led, stood up and began confessing some sins before the people who were gathered there. And, uh, and people were just moved by this act of vulnerability and honesty and, and the worship, and, and people just didn't leave. Um, and, and, and the worship at Asbury Chapel just continued into the night, into the next day, and uh, it's become like over, they just ended it this past week, but over 13 days uh, of worship, and scripture, and prayer, and testimony, and open confession, uh, all on this small Christian campus in the state of Kentucky. You can imagine that began to become viral, and, and all kinds of uh, national attention began giving uh, being sent its way, which in some ways is kind of like, oh, don't do that, you know. Um, but there was all kinds of opinions about what was happening, you can imagine, across the board. Uh, but but as I was just Kind of just observing from a distance, um, I came across a, a tweet, uh, a tweet on Twitter. Yeah, I know I talk about getting off your phones, but I was on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but I came across this tweet um, on the next page, and I was reminded of of my time at Hope College um, because uh, there was a, a tweet on that. Oop, we, oop. I'm working against Glenn there. My bad, Glenn. And uh, But I was reminded of my time over at Hope College. This is a picture of Hope's Chapel, uh, completely voluntary, meets Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, I saw this tweet that kind of talks about a revival that happened at Hope's campus spring of 1995 or 96. And when I was a student there from 2001 to 2005, I remember hearing kind of whispers of something that happened in the 90s. Uh, but it was kind of insightful to hear that it was a huge move of God in the 90s where the chapel at Hope College went from just a handful of students uh, to pushing a 1,000 on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, filling Dimnit Chapel, which is a huge space. And, um, and so I was just reminded of that. And, and my reply was, that was a revival? I, I just thought that was Wednesdays at Hope Chapel, right? Like that was just my experience there. Um, but but it was it was wonderful. I just began to remember how formative and how important those chapels and that time together as a community was um, and 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 so Yvonne and I um, we we went on Friday Friday morning and, and attended chapel and Sure enough, the, the, the students were there all voluntary and, and I'm like taking pictures and sending it to my buds and she's elbowing me in the ribs like, why are you taking pictures? Like just worship, you know? So, uh, but it was just this wonderful time of just remembering how God uh, has been at work and continues to be at work, not only in my life but in the circles that I've been a part of. And, and as I was just thinking about Asbury and my own experience at Hope College, I, I just began to just wonder like what do we make of these, these moves of God's Spirit? I mentioned that there's all kinds of responses uh, on a national level. Uh, there's some who are suspicious or skeptical or, or critical. Others are, are just simply curious about what was happening at Asbury. And, and many others are filled with hope and, and dreams that this is a move of God that's going to sweep the nation. And, and again, God's timing is incredible because this is kind of a backdrop in the last couple of weeks And all of a sudden this morning, you know, we come to this point in the story, Nehemiah chapter 8, where the people are gathered and God's spirit is at work to do something incredible. I mean, did you sense that as we were reading Nehemiah chapter 8? So here's my hope. My hope is just to look a little more closely at what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8 and and kind of point out some of the key features that were part of this spiritual renewal for God's people uh, a couple thousand years ago. And the hope is, as we point those out, that maybe they'll stir something in our own heart or maybe help us kind of identify. Hopefully it's helpful. So let's just dig into uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's talk about the spiritual renewal of God's people in the book of Nehemiah toward the end of this narrative that we call the Old Testament. Uh, Again, a little context. The people have just finished rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Their numbers at this point in Jerusalem are pretty few. Like not many have returned in these multiple waves of return from exile. Uh, Many of the people, their own homes haven't even been completed. We read that in chapter 7. Their efforts, their energy was rebuilding the walls at this time. Uh, But what transpires next is is, is incredible and unexpected. The people gather outside the wall around the water gate, one of the entrances to the wall. And what I want to do is just quickly point out a couple things about what happens in this moment. Notice, it's it's not really planned, right? It's not really well coordinated. Um, instead, it's, it's you know there's there's no there's no like fancy light show or smoke machines. There's there's no popular worship band uh, leading music. There's no uh, dynamic celebrity preacher like Pastor Bill next door, right? No, no. It's 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 just Ezra, the priest, opens the book of God, the book of God, right? The book of Moses, the Torah, and he simply just begins reading. From God's word to those gathered. And he begins reading at, at the break of dawn and continues reading for hours until noon. What this tells us about this spiritual renewal that's happening here in Nehemiah chapter 8, and I think it, it tells us something about this idea more broadly, is that spiritual renewal here begins and largely centers around the scriptures. The scripture was, was central to what was happening here around the city walls in Jerusalem at this time. Not only on the public reading of scripture, but also through its teaching and its preaching. What we read, I don't know if you caught that, but the Levites, as the, the Torah is being read, the Levites are there gathering people, offering instruction in the law, making it clear, giving the, the meaning to the people so that we read, and I quote, the people understood what was being read. So we have the reading and the the preaching and the teaching of God's word paired with with discipleship that brought understanding. And this was central and key uh, in this moment of renewal uh, at this time in God's people's history. Scripture was central. Now, just stepping out of the book of Nehemiah for a moment, what what a powerful reminder for us today. I, I don't know, I... Full, full 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 disclosure here. It's for me as a as a preacher. Um, it's so easy for me to get caught up in, in the stuff on the periphery, as as, a, as opposed to focusing on what's central. Examples um, when I'm crafting a sermon, I, I want to find that that perfect illustration right? I want to find that perfect application or that, that funny story that just helps land, land the point of the text this, that, that morning. Or, or, or even here is real deep down, I want to find that creative alliteration that, that lays out these three different points that all start with the same letter. And you guys don't even notice, but I think it's kind of cute or something. I don't know. But I get kind of wrapped up in some of those things on the periphery um, as opposed to being focused on the center, or other ministries as well. I mean, there's a lot of things happening on this campus during the week. We want to find, We, we get, it's easy to get wrapped up in finding the perfect discipleship program or what's that next perfect sermon series or, or getting our children's programs just right or, or what about a follow-up strategy as we have visitors come and, and how do we follow up with them to make sure they know that they belong and they're welcome here and or all of these things and all those things are good and those are all things we should spend time and energy in. But the bigger question is, are we centering our worship, are we centering our lives on God's revelation, His Word? And are we seeking to understand and grow in our understanding of what God's Word teaches, uh, these words written thousands of years ago, and how the Spirit applies them to our lives today? and. I hope so, I think so I, that we're trying to do that. I, I hope you, you see that our preaching is grounded in God's word, and we're, we're trying to do those things well, but scripture was central, and scripture continues to need to be central in our work. The next thing we look, we observe in Nehemiah eight. the people, after hearing the word, respond, and their response is their worship. So what we see in Nehemiah eight is that worship is A response. Uh, After the public uh, reading and teaching of the scriptures, we read in verse 6 these words, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They are completely responding. Their whole bodies are responding in worship to God after hearing his word. Again, we don't don't read anything elaborate, right? We don't read any kind of like cutting edge worship things. You know, there's no mention of of specific uh, music or we don't don't get the words of, of, is is there certain songs they're singing? Um, No, it's just the people responding with lifted hands, shouting, amen, amen, which literally just means, yes, we agree, right? They're hearing the word of God, yes, we agree. And then they bury their faces in the ground in worship. The image of that one verse is just simple, raw, honest response in worship to God. No bells, no whistles, just responding to God in pure worship. Again, important reminder for us today. I, um, I don't know about you, but when you hear the word worship, there's a lot of ways to worship, but, but what's the way? Does anyone else think of music? I'm not gonna I just think of I, I my my mind immediately goes to worship because music is this in, incredible gift that God uses to kind of to unite our hearts and to bring our voices in one and, and, and it's one of my favorite ways to worship is, is through music. And music is good and it's affirmed in scriptures, the, the psalms are songs. But here's the temptation in our modern context, I, I really think. Is that, is that Sundays? we think of what wor- we call sun- what we do on Sundays as worship? And the temptation is, particularly when, when we have such gifted musicians, and, and across campus here we, we have a lot of really gifted musicians who, who are just good at, at, at what they do. But the temptation is, in light of that, is, is we come and worship becomes a chance for us you know, to, to receive something. I don't want to be so crass as to say, to be entertained, but, but right? The temptation is we, we come and the music and, and then we frame it that way, you know, oh man, that, you know, as something we receive when, when really the, the, the truth that Nehemiah reminds us of is that no, worship is, is not something we consume or receive. No, worship is our response to God. And so I don't know, one of the things that, that makes my heart sing on a Sunday morning is, you know those moments where it's like we all kind of know that song, And we're all like, and then like you just hear the voices of the people kind of rising up and it's almost overpowering the worship. There's something beautiful about that because it's God's people responding to what they're experiencing in God's word and God's spirit. Worship as a response. Third thing we notice in Nehemiah chapter 8 is the people's response of worship as you continue reading in this chapter. Did you notice that, that it expands from shouts of amen and certain prayers? All of a sudden, the worship begins to kind of expand and broaden to the broader community. You see, worship in Nehemiah 8 is, is community-oriented. Uh, this is a, a community-wide event. In fact, it, right away in verse 1, we, we read these words. It's, you almost miss it in verse 1. All the people came together as one. Now, in the Hebrew, they really don't want you to miss it. Uh, that word is actually, they, t- they came together, ish achad. Achad is one, ish is man. And so, to, to even bring greater emphasis, they came together as one man, as one person, to just emphasize that they are together as one, right? And this time of worship then expands uh, in later verses, verse 10 through 12, Nehemiah begins to instruct the people, go, enjoy food and sweet drinks, then send some to those who have nothing prepared. Notice the, 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 that, that the worship gets expanded to, to food and drink. And notice that, that the food and drink is not just like this regretful necessity, Like, oh, we're gonna be here for a while. We need some fuel for our bodies. No, 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 no. The food and the drink is part of the celebration. How do we know that? Because it's choice food, it's sweet drink, right? Part of the celebration, part of the response in worship is the food and the feasting. And I love this part, send some to those who have nothing prepared. There's this spirit of, of generosity and sharing with the broader community so that no one is left out in this experience of communal worship that's characterized, this moment is characterized by unity and generosity and celebration and feasting. It's a beautiful thing. That's why we try to do some, some potlucks. Should we do more of those? Alright, I heard from the people. The people have spoken. More potlucks. We're going to do some more potlucks. But then, this then leaks into day two and as I mentioned kind of in the Bible reading, day two opens in verse 13 and they read in God's word like oh, we are supposed to be practicing this feast of tabernacles and they're like this is the seventh month. Let's do it. And so they gather for a seven-day festival, a feast of tabernacles, which commemorates that, those 40 years in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. And as I, and as I read all of this is, that is happening in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, again, I pause and it's like, what a reminder. Because another cultural pressure that we talk about over and over and over is, is our world right now is so individualized, Right? And too often worship, worship has become so individualized. Right? So it's people who are who are gathering together in, in one place, but oftentimes that's framed as, is that the communal piece is only to enhance my personal experience, right? And so we're gathering is powerful, but really that kind of just fulfills and, and, and enhances my own personal experience with God. When, when God's word and the model in Scripture here in Nehemiah and elsewhere, is that worship is to be this communal event and moment. A moment of responding to God that's marked by unity and, and generosity where no one is left out, where, where they're gathering together as God's people and, and it includes food and feasting and, and joy and celebration. And I think sometimes, you know, in our consumeristic, individualistic, like we've reduced Sunday morning worship to something less than what God intended. It's to be community-oriented. And then there's one other aspect we see in Nehemiah chapter 8, and this is an important one. It was a moment marked by confession and repentance. There is a deeper response in the hearing, studying, and understanding of God's word that is that is hoped for, that is prayed for, right? What we read is that the people's hearts are convicted as they hear God's word spoken. And we first see this in chapter eight. It, it was kind of it was interesting. They're like, stop weeping, right? Stop, stop grieving. Why are they weeping? Why are they grieving? Because as they hear God's word, they've realized how far short They've fallen of God's good standard and good will for their lives. And then this, this conviction leads to confession, and that confession is, is told in, in chapter 9. We read that, that, that we read this prayer of confession. And then in chapter 10, that confession turns to repentance as the people commit to follow the covenant of God's word, Nehemiah uh, chapter nine, just a couple verses here. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. And then we read this beautiful prayer of confession, kind of walking through their history, walking into their present, confessing and saying, We don't measure up, Lord. But we want something more. And they offer these prayers of of repentance and committing to this covenant. You see, the impact of spiritual renewal, the intent is that the impact would extend beyond the week-long or whatever-it-is event. Amen? Amen? The, the, the hope is that what we experience in worship and prayer and studying God's word is that that would bring lasting change among us as God's people. The hope would be that, that, that the people of God here in, in Nehemiah chapter eight, nine, and 10 would finally live as God intended them to live. If you remember from the beginning of the story as God made his promises to Abraham, God chose Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. And what did he say? I'm gonna bless you. And Why? so that you'll be a blessing to the nations. See, the, the call, why God's people were chosen was so that they would become a kingdom of priests, ambassadors, so that they would reveal to the rest of the world God's good plan and love and grace. That they would finally live as God intended them, a kingdom of priests. That's what our worship is about. And again, is that not our hope, right? Right? Don't don't we want what we do here on Sunday mornings for an hour to have an impact on our lives? Don't we want, as we read God's word, that that impacts how we treat our neighbor, how we love those that we interact with? That that, that our worship and our response to God, the the hearing of God's word would would spill over into the rest of our lives. And likewise, that, that what we're experiencing in the week, that we'd be able to bring that into worship and present that before God. What we do on Sunday is not isolated from the rest of our lives. This is part of our human experience in the grace of God. Now looking at the people of of God in Nehemiah 8, after this moment um, of of God moving in Jerusalem, I I don't know, I I kind of imagine, um, you know, they just wrap up a week-long festival. My guess is that hopes are high, right? That they're like, this is it this is the turning point, right? This is, this, is, this, is what, this is how God will work in our midst and this, this, this movement of God's spirit, like this is gonna, gonna bring us into this calling that God has called us to be a blessing to the nations, like we're back from exile, like this is the moment that we move forward. I'm, I'm guessing the spirits and the hopes were high, but what we read in the last chapter of Nehemiah is that's not what happened. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, if you if you continue reading, you get to Nehemiah chapter 13, and I, your response might be like mine, like, wait, wait a minute, like what's what's going on? Um, Nehemiah 13, the final chapter, the story picks up, and and human sin has, has reared its ugly head. And the and the people have have fallen back into all of those bad and selfish tendencies. They committed to to renew their commitment to the covenant and all the things that they named in chapter 10, they're all back doing. All the things they said they wouldn't do anymore, they're all back doing in Nehemiah 13. Because in Nehemiah 13, the human condition is revealed. The human condition is revealed. The temple, the newly built temple is being neglected. Sabbath is being dishonored. Merchants are selling goods just outside the city walls on a Sabbath. People are losing their identity by continuing to intermarry from those from surrounding nations and other religious backgrounds. It was, it was so disturbing, in fact, that we read in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 25. I'll just summarize that verse at the top. But Nehemiah is so upset, he kind of goes on this rampage. He begins rebuking and, and cursing people. He he starts beating people up and like ripping their hair out. By the way, that is not a good model of leadership, okay? We'll just say that. But he's so frustrated by what he sees. And throughout this chapter, as he's naming different things, he says, Remember me, O Lord, basically saying, I tried. Here's the last of them in, in the last two verses. So I, he says, so I purified the priests and the Levites, everything for, and assigned them duties, each with his own tasks. I also made provision for contrib-. He's telling God all the things he did and the very last verse in the book of Nehemiah says, remember me with favor, God. That's the last verse in the book of Nehemiah. And he says it multiple other times in that chapter. Basically what Nehemiah is saying, like, I give up. Like, God, I tried. Like, I, I did what I can. So, so remember me. Remember my efforts. Like, I want to get some credit for that. And then the book just ends. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, that's such a weird way for this book, the la- like the last narrative in our, in our Old Testament just ends kind of unresolved. But here's the thing, if you're, if you're reading, and maybe you're following some of the Bible Project stuff that I've been sending in the emails, they really point this out in a beautiful way, but Ezra and Nehemiah written as two books in our Bibles, but really as one volume. What we see is that throughout the, the narrative, we've kind of been prepared for this. Because God calls God's, these leaders to do this work. Is there a bubble? It's called to rebuild the temple. If you remember there in, in Ezra 1 through 6, he, they finished the... the, the the foundation of the temple, and some people are rejoicing. Others who remember the former temple are like weeping because they're like, this new temple is nothing compared to what was. You're like, that's kind of weird. Ezra chapter 7 through 10, Ezra comes, and, and he's rebuilding a community, teaching the Torah, and what does he find is that the people are intermarrying, and then it gets even more bizarre, like kind of confusing because then he commands that they divorce and then cast people away, like the women, and you're like, what? Like, what is that? Like, how do I make sense of that? Nehemiah 1 through 7, called to rebuild the wall. We, we read of resistance. Like, each of these, there's resistance. But then in Nehemiah chapter 5, we read that, that some of the leaders are overtaxing or over, like, charging over interest for, for the people who are borrowing, and it's sending some of their own people uh, into, like, like, kind of an indentured slave, slavery. And you're like... We've, we've been being prepared for this kind of unresolved conclusion. The contemporary prophet Malachi, this is in the story, that chapter, he begins calling out many of the same issues that the people continue to wrestle with, a lack of faithfulness to God, a lack of faithfulness in their marriages and families, a lack of generosity to God. The list continues. And so we're, we're just like, what, what is going on? Right? What's up with these people, right? They've just spent 70 years in exile. God did a miraculous thing to bring them back to the land. Didn't exile teach them anything? Why do they keep falling into the same old selfish patterns? And what we quickly realize is it's because of the human condition. Sin. It is the sin that continues to, to, to infect humankind, Right? This reminds us that that this amazing work of God to bring the people back to Jerusalem to restore the temple, to restore, to rebuild the city walls was a positive step. It was a good step in God's greater plan, but it wasn't enough. Because we got hearts that are broken. More was needed. Prophet Malachi, last words uh, of the prophets in the Old Testament Uh, joins with the chorus of the other Old Testament prophets and and says these are the last verses in the book of Malachi. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decree and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you because that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children, the hearts of children to their parents. The prophet Malachi is joining with the chorus of the prophets that are pointing to one who will come one like Elijah, one who would, who would then prepare the way for the day of the Lord, who would call people to repentance and point them to the Messiah, the return anointed king. We fast forward to the book of John, and I'm, it's so exciting that next week we're gonna be stepping into the Gospels and we're gonna start talking a little bit about this. But the Gospel of John r- reminds us that more is needed, and what that more is is Jesus Can I get an amen to Jesus? You better give an amen to Jesus. (laughs) More is needed. Jesus. They asked him, John the Baptist, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Kind of this this echo here. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me. The straps of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And the next day, he sees the one that he's preparing the way. It's Jesus coming toward him. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This issue that remains, even as the people return to Jerusalem, this sin problem, Jesus Christ has come to take away the sins of the world. God would send his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect presence of God in flesh who would come to overcome that human condition of sin. The full healing and restoration of human hearts could only come through the power and presence, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who would bring redemption to those he calls his own. Friends, this is the gospel. And as we wrap up these these chapters of what we refer to as the Old Testament, all of this whole story has been leading to this good news in Jesus Christ. We've said it's a unified story that leads us to Jesus because that's where the story leads. Which brings us back to the, where we started our conversation. In light of God's word, in light of this revelation, God's word pointing us to Jesus Christ, what, what are we then to make of kind of modern day renewal movements? Sometimes they're called revivals. Sometimes they're called awakenings. Actually, the students at Asbury don't use Revival. Um, the community at Asbury calls it an awakening or an outpouring, I believe, if you're reading any of that uh, information. But as far as what's happening at Asbury, I, I really don't have any grand conclusions or assessments. Um, I'm in Michigan, so who am I? <laughs> right? um, from what I've read, it seems to be a genuinely significant Event and moment for the students in life on the Asbury campus. And that's wonderful. Praise God. Um, anytime God's people gather around the scriptures, worship, community, all those things that we kind of referenced from Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, the, the accounts are that's what people are doing. That's what they were doing at Asbury gathering around the scriptures, gathering around worship, community, confession, and repentance. That seems like a worthwhile endeavor. That seems like something we all should be praying for. That we'd be a people who gather around God's word, gather as community, gather around openness and vulnerability. And, and, and that brought me back to my time at Hope College. Like it was it was formative, it was it was good. Um, now the question is, is that is that the beginning of a more widespread revival? I, I don't know. Like time will tell, I suppose. I'm not e I I I I hesitate when when people have certain definitions of what is a revival. It's like, oh. I hesitate when, when people see what's happening there and then try to step into that and try to leverage it for their own agendas. It's like, oh man, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. I pray that God is at work, absolutely. Here's what I do know, though. What I do know is that any true revival does not happen apart from Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Here's what I'm pretty sure if we're, if we're aiming for revival, if that's what we're shooting for, some the next revival, I'm not sure we'll hit that target. I'm not, I'm not sure that's a target we, we can hit, certainly not on our own strength. But if we're aiming for Jesus, who is the Word, if we're aiming for Jesus through the Word, through prayer, through worship, through repentance, true repentance, confession, life change in community, then maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit might do something bigger than we could ever ask for or imagine. And that gives me hope. It's not about seeking revival. It's about seeking Jesus. It's about about faithfulness. As as Eugene Peterson kind of takes this old saying, "A, a a long obedience in the same direction. And friends, that's, that's the beauty of that. We can seek Jesus right now. We can seek faithfulness right here every Sunday. We can seek a long obedience in the same direction every day of the week, and we can do it not just individually on our own, but as a community doing life together. And that's our prayer. That's our hope for our community here at Heart Awake that we would be a people that are seeking Jesus in light of the grace of the gospel and that God's spirit would work in us and through us and among us to do what only God can do. Let's pray and ask God to do that work. Will you join me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your spirit is at work. And Lord, how, how, you're, how you're moving in, in Asbury or in other college campuses to, to draw people to you, we, we praise God for that. We pray that your spirit would work. Lord, for how your spirit's at work, not just on college campuses across our country, not just in, in churches and in smaller communities across our country, but Lord, across the world. We think about how the Spirit is working in in other parts of the world where your church is just exploding with growth and life change, and and we praise you. Because so often, Lord, when your Spirit is at work, it happens in ways that that we could never have even planned for or dreamed of. It's a reminder, Lord, that, that you are the one at work. And Lord, we want to see your work. And so we pray for your spirit's work in our midst, in our, in our community here, our church community, our broader community. We pray, God, that you would be drawing people toward yourself. And as we are drawn toward you, Lord, that we would learn to love you with our whole lives, that we would learn to love our neighbor as ourself and that your spirit would work in ways that impact and change lives beyond what we could pray or ask for. Lord, that is our hope. Not in our own ability to make things happen, but the reality, Holy Spirit, that you are at work. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In the powerful, loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.
2: Let's stand and join our voices together once more.
3: Imagine so great a mercy What heart could fathom Such boundless grace The God of ages Stepped out from glory To wear my sin And bear my shame Cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living home. the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living home. Then came the morning that sealed the promise Your buried body began to breathe Out of the silence the roaring lion Declared the grave has no claim on me." yours is the victory. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ
1: my living hope. Jesus Christ my living
3: hope. Oh God you are my
5: song I love that we ended uh, on a song that just so clearly reminds us of the gospel as we think about what we do on Sundays as we think about what happens in worship why do we do it it's what we just sang about that we we believe in a God who sent his son Jesus Christ that Christ loved each of you so much that he laid down his life he did everything needed to unite us with God the Father. He rose again, conquering sin and death. This gospel is why we gather. It's why we gather to to listen to God's word because we believe God loves us and has a plan for us. We We pray and we respond in worship because we believe God is good. We can even confess our sins without fear because God has already done everything to offer forgiveness. And we do it together. Not alone. And On a a lighter note, that's why we also, it's everything we do. It's even why we do donuts and coffee because, right, choice food, sweet drink. So there's some creamers. (laughs) So enjoy some time of fellowship. Get to know someone maybe who you haven't had a chance to meet. And as you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now forevermore. Amen.